First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. I haven't got my script up. <laughs> Here we go. You- welcome to the show. <laughs> you are tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station <laughs> on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for Triple Z. Be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app, or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers. Just search for our show Did name. You get Toby to edit out the, start <laughs> <of> the show, <laughs> which is of Just course in case, no idea. Spelt with an egregious K at the beginning. Your weekly dose of science, and joining me today. To speak about all things science are two of my favourite science communicators. Both have master's degrees in their fields. May I please introduce... So formal. Wow. That's great. Are we getting the job? (laughs) That's so good. Peter. And Gabe. Oh, good morning, morning. Max. It's a week of space tragedies this week. Japan's moon lander crash, Mm. and I've just seen a photo of it for the first time. It just landed upside down, but softly. (laughs) You know, in in cartoons where where one of the characters, like, gets blown up by TNT or something and they Mm. get fired off into the moon? You know, that running joke, and they Mm. always hit the moon and go, (laughs) head first. It looks like that's what's happening to this lander. Perfectly speared itself in head first. But... They've got contact with it as of about a day ago. Yeah. So, um, but not for much longer for because it's going to be a lunar night. Oh. Lunar <laughs> night's going to happen. So no more sun. <laughs> so it's game over. <laughs> and minus 120 degrees Celsius. Okay. So the batteries won't last. I went in with too much optimism. It yeah. did. Uh, yeah. But the other tragedy that hit us, Max, is what I want to be talking about uh, at length until you're completely over it, which mm. is the ingenuity Mars helicopter, oh, which we'll get into flies. later in the oh, show, but the, the poor, the poor lander did <laughs> well come to an end. Um, mm. A, a Wait, very, a bet. I know. Yeah. We'll get into the bet okay. later on. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. Yeah, one. Wait, we'll I get there. We'll get, we'll get there. there. We'll get Chill. there. Hold. <laughs> later in the show, ingenuity Mars helicopter, mm. uh, and it's it's tragic demise, but a very fantastic life that I also want to revisit. We got weird science coming away. We got some marine science coming away. Izzy's going to pop in later in the show. Mm. We got a good show coming away this morning on Four Triple Z. Max, what are you going to kick us off with? You tune into Four Triple Z. The show is no idea. Your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Gabe, and Peter. And it's time for some of this. Who wants to kick us off with some weird sure, science? I've got something for you about uh, uh, stimulating soil with sound. Not, uh, not, not electricity. Not yeah. electricity. Right. Uh, so uh, this is what I want to start off with. Have you seen those videos of people who stick synthesizers and electrodes Oh, and they make music on out mushrooms of it? and it makes noise? Have Are they single, yeah, these yeah. people? Like uh, what's, what's their status? <laughs> I would say they're very active on dating apps, Matt. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah, they, they, they get synths 
and they connect them to either side of a mushroom, usually. Or a plant. I've or seen it plant. on plants too. Yes, but we're talking about mushrooms. Mm. Oh, okay. Specifically. Well, so deal. Mm. And they click them on and it starts pumping out sounds, right? Can and I goes give like, you my impression of a mushroom? Mm. That's exactly what I needed right now. How, how many? Okay, you get that. There you go. You get that. And then usually mm. the caption Thank says you. something really like, Connecting with nature or something, you know, like it's Plants really about too. listening to the world around us. Realistically, what these videos are, uh, the noise is produced by the synth, not by the plant. How many beats and per minute? Do you know? Or? There's not really like a BPM to my Oh, no, no, no. This isn't, this isn't music. This is like the, the music where you take one note in a song and you stretch it out to be a whole song. Oh, That's what okay. we're talking, we're talking yeah, about. Okay. Very, it's just mm. like weird ethereal vibration sort of slow music stuff. Cool. And, but the, the pitch just changed. But effectively what these videos are, uh, a synth is producing music and they're passing a current through the mushroom or the plant uh, and and the small variations in things like water content and maybe some slight electrical impulses going through the fungi is what's causing that signal to change as it goes from one electrode to the other. And that's why the tone of the music changes. So they're making, they're producing a sound that they want to sound cool and earthy and fungi talking, whatever. And then it's just sort of weird little changes within them that change the electrical flow through the elect from one electrode to the other. That's actually changing the pitch, not the mushroom talking to people or uh, screaming or screaming. That's or what, screaming. that's a lot of the stuff I've seen online is they think they're screaming. Yes. But as silly as these videos are, there is now some truth to how sound can interact with fungi. And it comes to us. Thanks to tea bags and researchers at Flinders university. Mm. QS ranking. Oh. Sorry, I was so caught up. Oh, with 58. 58. <laughs> I thought you meant it first. We've got a 58 from Max. What uh, have they got from this side of the room? Flinders. Flinders. 72. 380. Oh. Uh, <laughs> down south. They took tea bags, yeah. regular tea bags, and put them in a soundproof box. As the organic matter in the tea bags disintegrated and started feeding fungi, because there's pretty much fungi on every organic material. It's mm. just a matter of how fast it there's can grow. There's fungi on you, there's fungi on me. Exactly. We're all fungi. Uh, the researchers <laughs> then played sounds at these tea bags. So they, they blocked out the sounds coming from the outside world in a soundproof box, and they mm. play, played controlled sounds within the box. The, some of the boxes were hit with 80 decibels of sound, which is about the level of human shouting. And some of the, the other boxes were hit with... Uh, 30 decibels of sound, so a lower sound, which is about the this, <laughs> you're right there, the volume of human whispering, uh, and they ha they had that sound for eight hours a day for 14 days. Okay, <laughs> you're like this, playing sound at tea bags. No, not so much tea bags. In my head, they're fully mushrooms and they're underground and they're just like waiting. And then all of a sudden, they're like, "Here it comes!" And they're just like, "Oh my god." <laughs> to clarify, yeah. I don't think the researchers were screaming at them for eight hours. <laughs> I know, but that's what's happening in my head. Yeah, that's cool. That funny. can happen in your head. They did say 30 decibels was what they'd call a natural level of sound for a, a soil-based fungi to be experiencing. Oh, uh, cool. But then, yeah, so they, they had that la the sound getting played at them. Uh, and after the 14 days, they measured how heavy all of the fungal growth was in the different boxes, the loud ones versus the soft ones. The tea bags in the soft boxes had little change in their fungal weight, but the louder 80 decibel tea bags added, here we go, mm -hmm. about 0 0.5 <laughs> grams of Ooh, fungal yeah, mass. That's it. Significant how difference. That? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, ah, I need earplugs. Let me go on this quickly. <laughs> <laughs> they also saw different fungal species have different responses based on the frequency of noise that they played as well as the volume. One species of fungi had five times more growth than uh, in the loud box versus the soft box. Uh, and they say it's a fungi that's very important for soil growth. Um, what they plan to do with this information, I'm not sure. They, they Scream at fungi. I think it's screaming at fungi. They, they <laughs> mention, you know, that there's 75% of the world's soils are it's degraded in some way because of human activity. And then they very lightly mention, sort of hint at the idea of, well, maybe we could blast the soil with soft sounds or actually not so soft sounds, sound. loud sounds, shouting levels of sound <laughs> to sound. increase fungal growth to set the soil up for, uh, for you know, the other mm. stuff that comes. The fungi usually sets the scene in the soil and then plants and everything else can come <laughs> off that. Uh, they, yeah. So they, next time you're hiking, next time you're just hiking. don't go with this whole, oh, I'm going to be quiet and listen to the birds. No, mm -hmm. just 
yeah, face glare. down, yeah. look at yeah. the ground and go, ah. That's it. Just take like a boombox with it. Like degraded soil. I, I will give you a quote direct from the scientific paper that accompanies this study. Mm. Of course, the potential unintended or undesirable consequences of using this technology need to be investigated. Uh, like noise pollution. Noise pollution. <laughs> by pumping shouting levels of noise into the soil to promote fungal growth. But that's my mm. weird science. Uh, you can shout at fungi and it might grow faster. Brilliant. I think what we're learning generally at the moment is a brain really isn't necessary for thought or learning. Mm. Like, I think we knew for a long time that, that you didn't need a brain then. to react. <sighs> and it does. Oh, my goodness. Finally. I can hear you. I can hear you gearing up for that. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't have a brain. So he has to make all that noise. His arms, his arms and legs have to come to a committee agreement to make the joke. You tune into 4 Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max. Izzy's in the room. Oh, Peter, Peter, and Gabe. I like how you play these clips of you getting roasted mm. by the rest of the crew, and then just sort of get back into the show. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it's good. Job keeps going. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> Is it me turn? It's you it's turn. You turn. It turns out people tend to predict be. Pretty predictable, especially when it comes to concealing an infectious illness to avoid missing work, travel or social events. This re- new research comes out of the University of Michigan QS ranking. Oh, they're, pre- Michigan. they're pretty good. 54. Oh, uh, 47. 33. Wow, that's better than I expected. Mm-hmm. Their findings have been reported in the journal Psychological Science the takeout being 75% of the over 4,000 participants said they had either hidden an infe- infectious illness with from others at least once or might do so in the future. Many participants reported boarding planes, going on dates, engaging in other social interactions while secretly sick. And this is the worrying one for me. More than 61% of healthcare workers participating <laughs> oh. in the study also said they concealed an infectious <laughs> illness. Oh, cool. <laughs> Researcher Merrill reported, healthy people forecasted that they would be unlikely to hide harmful illnesses, those that spread easily and have severe symptoms, but actively sick people reported high levels of concealment regardless of how harmful their illness was to others. In the first study, they recruited 399 university healthcare employees and 505 students. More than 70% of the participants reported covering up their symptoms. Many said they hid their illness because it would interfere with social plans, while a small percentage... (laughs) Not social plans. (laughs) ...cited pressure from institutional policies such as lack of pay. Only... Five participants reported hiding a COVID-19 infection. So that's interesting. Out of how many? Out of, uh, say, a 1,000. Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. Maybe that's because you can test for it, I guess. We, yeah. Anyway. In a yeah. set- it's also down in America where they just, like, don't have sick leave as a... Yeah, as a backup. Thing. So yeah. I yeah. kind of yeah. feel like a lot of this is going to be their cultural... Their culture is to hide for a mm. lot of stuff, like... I don't think Aussies don't do this. Yeah. A lot of Australians do. Yeah. But I reckon the meet the reasoning behind it is different. Like Australians, we're just really apathetic. <laughs> that's right. We just don't care about anything. I think that's where our motivations come from, whereas I would be surprised if the healthcare situation in the States doesn't. And following on from that, I stayed away for a week because I had COVID. Hmm. And I, did, you know, I, I, I didn't get paid for doing no idea that week, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you made as much money as you did the week before that. <laughs> <laughs> doing no right. idea. That's right. In fact, you actually could have probably made more by allowing yourself to die. Anyway. Any weird stuff, Izzy? Yeah, I got a weird. Go for it. All right. So this is from the University of Queensland and QT. Do you guys have any burner or anonymous online like accounts? This is just a call, oh, general yeah. call. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But mainly in my Tumblr days. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I had ba- I had burners. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think I have uh, an Instagram and mm. a Reddit and and a tick. I've got three. There you go. Do you have wow. a burner Instagram? Yeah. I think so. You well, I think it used Insta. to be <laughs> for no, those special photos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> clarifying, clarifying, not active. Oh, okay. How different is that from your main one? About two followers. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, a PhD candidate, Louis Nishk, from UQ's School of Psychology collected data from more than 1,300 participants across the world via an online survey and digital diary where they tracked their online behaviour for over a week to find out reasons why people choose to be anonymous online. Is it self-expression or toxic behaviour? Um, The study looks specifically at what people do online when they're anonymous as opposed to when they make themselves identified. We found participants engaged in behaviours such as chatting with other people and building relationships, reflecting a motive of self-expression. Researchers also found others engaging in antisocial interactions such as trolling or cyberbullying. Yeah, who's surprised? (laughs) Yeah. When people are anonymous, they are often held less accountable for their actions, which can amplify these antisocial behaviours. Mr. Nish said, Previous research has shown people behave differently when they're anonymous online because they feel free of social constraints. Further research shows individuals who opted for online anonymous uh, anonymity struggled with a clear sense of identity as well. This is interesting coming from the UQ School of Psychology. Mm. Key difference is people motivated by self-expression were less likely to be self-conscious and socially anxious. So when they reached out to people mm. to build relationships under the guise of another name, whereas people motivated by toxic behavior were more likely to exhibit sadistic or psychopathic tendencies. Ah, Gave those three. Yeah. yeah, no, that all makes perfect sense to it me does. there's cosplayers on one side and then there's <laughs> trolls on the yeah. other <laughs> so learning about different motivations means we can be better formed better informed about potential benefits and risks of being anonymous online and interacting with other anonymous people in online communities next stage of the research is to understand how seeking anonymous identities associated with one's well-being and how anonymous behavior differs across different cultures as well Ooh, so interesting what, yeah Delete those burner accounts, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But they can be good. They They can can be good good for building social relationships. I think it's so interesting, like, looking beyond kind of, like, Mm. your own identity and you project yourself online. Correct. Because a lot of people assume, oh, cheating behavior, Mm. toxic behavior, psycho. Mm. But it also, yeah, well, Mm. you could look at things like, oh, burner account, like, why are you hiding? What are you hiding from, from your true identity? Mm. But then there's also... You're doing nothing wrong. You've got nothing to hide. Yeah, exactly. Mine was like being in high school posting things I didn't want to. But that's the other side. That's the other (laughs) side of things where it's like self-expression where it's like, I can't be my... Yeah, interesting. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe, and it's part three of this. What do you got for us, Peter? I have marine science. Got burned. Raise your hand if you're surprised. (laughs) (laughs) On the radio. Anyway, who knows what I'm talking about when I say the word megalodon? Me. A a shark. Uh, Okay. Yeah. No. I was more just wondering, like, yeah, no, I know that guy, rather than like, yeah, I know that guy. (laughs) I know that guy. (laughs) Oh, Izzy knows it too. (laughs) So megalodons are like a pretty famous shark now, which is funny because they went extinct. 3.6 3.6 million years ago. Spoilers! Mm. Okay, no, we're not starting this time. The megalodon is extinct. Unlike dinosaurs, megalodons are extinct. They went extinct 3.6 million years ago. Do you want to know how we know their teeth? They've got a lot of bloody teeth, like every single shark. Do you know what we find about sharks that are living today? A lot of their teeth. Their teeth just seem to continue falling out. We find them along the seafloor. You find them on beaches. Do you know when we stopped seeing an ac- new accumulation of megalodon teeth? 3.6 million years ago. There is absolutely no way that they just suddenly overnight evolved to not have teeth and they're still swimming around the ocean somewhere. I, I keep seeing this stuff on TikTok where people are like, the megalodon exists. No, it doesn't. And also, can I, th- sorry, I'm going on a rant now, but it's very important. The other thing is that everyone I see online who believes in the megalodon believes in a single megalodon. Like, the megalodon, not megalodon the species. Like, they don't think there are several megalodons, they just think there's one, which makes no sense. So, I'm putting it to rest here. On this show, we believe in science, we follow science, and megalodons are extinct. They're not around. Anyone want to fight me on that? <laughs> no. Do it. Car parts, uh, okay. now. Do? If, <laughs> if no megalodon, why movie then? Boom. Wind her up, Izzy. <laughs> Drop the mic. It's walk out. How, if, if not alive, then how'd they get footage of it? Hmm? 
They didn't get footage of it. If no Chewbacca, how Chewbacca real? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you talking about this? Like, I would okay, yeah, want everything me. on TV to be real because then I would be a mermaid because I would have swum off the Gold Coast and gone to that magical island at moonlight in the pool and I would have magically turned into a mermaid like all the girls in H2O. I would have done it. Mm. But unfortunately, things on TV aren't real. What? Okay. <laughs> okay, let's move on with that anyway. in science. Basically, some people just were looking at these teeth that are littered all around the ocean from when they were alive. And they were like, you know what? We don't have that much to go on. Like, when you think of the meg- or megalodons, they're hu- people just usually draw them or see them as, like, giant white sharks. So, think of the biggest white shark you can think of, and then they just kind of double it. And usually they give it more teeth from what I can see, which... I don't know about that. There's not. I, I don't know why that would happen. But essentially, the only things we have from these guys are their teeth and their vertebrae because they're the only things, given that they're sharks, that actually fossilised and were able to be found after the fact. Which means, unlike a lot of other animals that have been uh, gone extinct or fossilised, we don't really have... Like, even dinosaurs, you know, it's hard to know what they look like. Sharks and things in the ocean are much harder to kind of figure out what they would even... You don't know what you're looking at. There's not much to go off of. So it's a lot of guesswork, but they have been thinking about it a little bit more and they've realised that mm, Megalodon probably didn't look like a white shark. Probably not. Like, white sharks are famously, like, barrel-shaped. You know, they've got, like, little heads, big barrel bodies, they're kind of short and stocky and that's what gives them all that power. But they actually figured out that they think Megalodon bodies were longer and more slender. So, like, they say, like, a mako shark, I don't know if many people know a mako shark that well to kind of imagine a big mako shark but just imagine a white shark doubled its size but then also went to pilates four times a week (laughs) like that's what we're thinking of when we think of this new long megalodon and you know that's just kind of cool to know that it looked a little bit different maybe these stupid films can update their cgi but also there is actual real life implications to this in fact the way the thing that they think is interesting is that a longer body usually means a longer intestine which usually means that you can digest your food slower and actually have to eat less, which is kind of incredible for something that would have been a huge predator in the oceans. In, in the, it was actually in coastal waters a lot, in shallow waters. So previously they thought they were very much like white sharks, you know, almost constantly feeding and looking for things to eat. And now they think they're probably a bit more chill, which is kind of a really big change to what, how we see these animals, which I thought was really cool. I want to know if they sleep. Uh, we've gone through this. Sharks are difficult with sleep. It's still up for debate. They think maybe. I'm going to propose, what if the megalodon is so big that it only needs to eat once every, like, million years? <laughs> and it's just in nap time. Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry, rewind. If it was, how can something be so big that it doesn't need to eat? What's hmm. the correlation there? Well, it's Silence. busy. It's busy exactly. just Max play a song. Max play a song. Max play a song. Glad to hear that you do have a friend called Peter mm. from the Marine degree at JCU from 1993. We, what, what I'm hearing from this, Max, is we yeah. didn't get the original friendly neighbourhood marine scientist called Peter. <laughs> yeah, so we, we got ripped set, off with we'll the, the set. Yeah. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, Gabe, and our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist. Wish edition. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> that is so, I'm so sorry. If only they could make that meeting a bit earlier. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Oh, good. All right. Have you ever had to like step out of a club because it's really loud? Like your friends have been screaming in your ear, and you're like, I just can't get what you're saying. So you have to like motion to them, and you like awkwardly run outside, and then they just talk to you, and you're like, Holy crap! I have been killing my ears inside that place. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, had that. I feel yeah, like that's yeah, pretty yeah. universal. Mm-hmm. Post club, post concert, mm-hmm. walk out, and you realise how yeah, how screwed your ears are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it turns out whales can relate a little bit, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense. Humans are pretty loud, but whales are much louder. Surprise, surprise. Uh, in fact, male humpback whale song can pretty much dominate the soundscape of their breeding grounds during that time. And I wanted to take this time. To ask everyone on the team to give me their best whale impression. <laughs> Given that I made such a wonderful mushroom impression before, mm. and I think genuinely I'm much better at being a whale than a mushroom, I wanted to see your whale impressions. Gabe, <laughs> go. <laughs> you did not commit. You are Australian Idol. You did not get the buzzer. Oh, I don't know how Marsha Hines Max. would be upset. The uh, I'm not doing this, Peter. Yes, you are. <laughs> 
<laughs> Amazing. Izzy. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Do you guys want to hear mine? Yes. Go for yeah. it. Thank you very much. And good morning to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's called being committed to your craft, guys. I think you can pick it up. Is that what that's required at a master's? Yeah. No, there's like a whole course in it. That's an elective. Uh, Yeah, no, very necessary if you're going to go into But you have to take fish talk as a prereq. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. So essentially, imagine all of those beautiful sounds that we just made all crammed in together, and you think the sound might get a little bit much. And that's kind of what the researchers from the University of Hawaii, QS ranking. Oh, oh I wouldn't have a clue. 120? 10. Yeah. 130. Actually, 386, which surprised oh, hmm. me. I reckon the marine science degree is probably a bit higher <laughs> <Yeah>. than that. <laughs> I imagine so. That's so. right. The rest is pulling him, there, pulling him up. That's, that's what they mm. think is doing. Yeah, yeah. So, in the breeding seasons between 2016 and 2021 of the humpback whales in the area, the researchers used a combination of underwater listening devices and visual surveys, which is just someone standing on a hill, for clarity. And, like, when we say visual surveys, it's just one person who watches whales a lot, and they stand on a hill and they go, oh, it's that whale. It's not super high-tech. And essentially, they would, like, record the whales' calls as well as their timing and location so they could kind of track who's singing when and where. And they found that the male singers, which are largely the ones making the racket, were moving offshore during the day. And it's kind of funny that we didn't really know this because despite literal decades of research in whale so- into whale songs and their purpose, this just wasn't known, which is kind of crazy. It's generally thought that humpback whale song is a very important part of breeding, you know, finding each other, yourself stand out from the crowd, mm-hmm. finding that special someone. All of those things are an important part of whale song. We think. Anyway, it's kind of like birdsong, if you're more familiar with them, but underwater and massive. So obviously for a population like humpback whales, which has been threatened before and maybe threatened by a lot of things in the future, it's really important that we know how important whale song is, what it functions as, and more importantly, that they can hear each other full stop. And we know generally that's getting much harder. Like the entire world is just becoming cacophonous with all sorts of human noises, like shipping, drilling, blasting, many, many more. And don't get me wrong, that is a massive if not the primary problem but it's actually not what the researchers think is at play here okay Gabe's going to play us a clip of what this breeding ground sounds like and you have a think about what might be the problem here So basically it's loud as hell and everyone's talking over each other. It's like this incredibly dense breeding ground for Hawaii because there's not much coastal area, so everything kind of crams in. And it, it everyone's got something to say and no one has an inside voice. So it gets really intense. And the researchers think that maybe because of this intensity, singing males move offshore during the daytime to give their music a little bit of space and to avoid getting drowned out. Similarly, they notice that they would move onshore during the evening and they think that that is actually because a lot of other animals not whales come up to the surface or in from around in the offshore area at night and make a lot of noise then so during the day they're avoiding the noise of their peers and in the evening they're avoiding the noise of their not peers i don't know what the word for that is things that aren't them (laughs) (laughs) anti-peers wonderful (laughs) anti-peers and so that's why they think they're making this movement which is kind of interesting because it's one of the first times that whale song has been tracked in such a short time period like a day it's also one of the of one of the first bits of research i've seen where it's looking at uh the way that whales mask their own songs and how they deal with that rather than how we're masking their songs and it sort of leads to these really interesting questions of like okay this study didn't really look at anthropogenic aka human made noise at all from what i can see in the study and so it would be interesting to see if they could apply any of these natural patterns that they've evolved, like moving offshore, into anthropogenic noise, whether that's even effective, how that, af- how that changes their lives. Like, there's all these questions that now come up into, like, well, what are they already doing and how much is it affecting them? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Everyone at the station knows uh, which show is the most appreciated. Uncancelable. Uncancelable. That's what I love to say about us. <laughs> Everything we do, everything we say, everything we've ever put online, uncancelable. 
Yeah. Tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Izzy, and poor lonesome Gabe. <laughs> yep, Peter's gone, checked out, came in, threw some marine science on the floor and left. Uh, but we've got some motor app, we've got some space news on the Ingenuity Mars rover, we've got a story on zombie leaves as V's written in for us. But Max, I think you need to roll something first. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to you for Triple Z just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I will keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out and away we go. Daytona happened on the weekend. Daytona 24 hour. Uh, and who do you think won? Gabe, did Daytona you? Daytona 24 hour. Yeah. I had not a clue who won the Daytona 24 hour. Porsche. Porsche won. Porsche. Yeah. And had an Aussie on board, Matt Campbell driving. Okay. Yeah. One of the. On board. You know, one of the three or four oh, drivers. Yeah. They had multiple three drivers. Three or four drivers. Yeah. Because oh, it's 24 go. hours. You can't just, you know, I'll, I'll just sit behind the wheel for 24 well, I hours. I that was the whole point. Endurance. <laughs> <laughs> it's more the yeah. car. It, it, can the car last or not? That's right. the endurance mm-hmm. part of it, not the actual driver. Gotcha. Cadillac was second, and Acura, which is in brackets Honda, they were third. And that third winning car, the third place car had Jensen Button, who is an ex-Formula 1 champion, driving as one of the drivers. And then it was a Porsche lockout for the positions four, five, and six. And then BMW came in at seven and eighth. They had high hopes for BMW. They were pretty impressed with their engine because they're sort of a hybrid prototypes. So they use an engine and mm. electricity as well. But uh, no, BMW fell back a bit. I was hoping Cadillac would have won it. But uh, yeah, such is life. Formula One, Daniel Ricciardo's team, formerly known as Alpha Tauri. Mm. has been renamed to, you ready? Mm-hmm. Cover your ears, really. Visa Cash App RB. <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't Ooh. it? <laughs> <laughs> their launch of their new car will happen in Las Vegas on the same weekend as the 2024 Super Bowl, which is also being played in Las Vegas. There's been some important personnel changes uh, for their team. Uh, that Visa Cash App RB. I don't think I'll ever get familiar with it. Um, just the, on this, uh, someone on Reddit pointed out that they thought that the account was like the Instagram account was getting hacked. Yes. Because it seems like such a long-winded, like whenever someone gets attacked, like hacked yeah. on a cryptocurrency thing, and oh, they always change the username to something silly like that, e- like e- Cash egregious, App. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's official. <laughs> it's official. Get used to that. Oh God. So they've stolen some people. You know. Uh, headhunted some people from Renault, which is Alpine, and Ferrari. So this all bodes well for the future of the team. And I think we can no longer consider it the junior Red Bull team. Mm -mm. And the subtext being apparently that um, Red Bull, the the big team, will eventually have to sell the sister team uh, Visa Cash App RB. So they're just trying to beef it up so they'll get a good sale price for it. Because the Chinese war between the two teams is not really there. So they're borrowing a lot of parts yeah. <laughs> between teams. Anyway, lot long to go before we go racing. Uh, 3rd of March. It will be Third of March. start in Bahrain. Wow. Then we've got Saudi Arabia on the 9th of March. And then the Aussie race, the 24th of March. Which we'll be going to see a hope game. I hope so. We've put in our media application, so this is where we cross fingers and toes and wait, and then usually a couple of days before we get a yes. Yeah. Uh, so we'll keep those fingers and toes crossed for another <laughs> month and a half. That's figure we out we always get such go. short notice. Yeah, you're allowed to go. Okay, well, I, I've already booked my tickets. Packed so. the car. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, we got another race down in Melbourne. They got 400,000 people through the gates, or 400,000 entries through the gates, some of them, with repeat customers yeah. uh, last year, which is the most, I think, of any sporting event over a... Uh, weekend, okay. Weekend mm. for a single for yeah. a single uh, f- single event. Yeah. So we'll see how they go this year. Piling half a million people through Melbourne, but uh, yeah, big d- season coming up, Max, and and a weird one because I don't feel like there's been much lead into it. But um, mm. 
that'll probably all change when the Drive to Survive series comes That's out. That's right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> a week before the racing starts. The um, And did you see the FIA has changed some of the rules for the uh, Formula One competition? I do tell. And there's about eight changes I read, but the, the most significant one for me is if a driver gets in trouble and does something wrong, they can actually find them up to a million euro for any sort of... Well, yeah. Mr. Mina. You do Eddie? hear these fines that they talk about, you know, you hear through commentary, like, oh, the driver did this infringement, that's a 20,000 pound fine. Yeah. And you go, these teams are chucking 20,000 pounds out on the fruit platters. Like, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Dishing them out. It used to be 250,000. So they've, they've yep. multiplied. And they, they, they cited that we haven't changed it for a long time. So we thought we'd just up it to a million dollars. It's inflation. <laughs> it's a It's just supply chain issues, guys. With oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report Valtteri has left his adopted country, which is, of course, Australia, and is on his way back to the stake F1 headquarters, getting ready for this year's Formula One. They will be launching their car in the UK on the 5th of February. Meanwhile, the Phoenix, Roman Grosjean, raced in last weekend's Daytona 24-hour, driving a Lamborghini Huracan, and managed, where do you reckon he finished? Is this like the GT3 sort of class? Okay. A DNF. Oh. <laughs> job done. DNF is, job. did not finish for those playing at home. And that is it for the motor app, unless you've got anything, Gabe, Izzy, the usual. Nah, that's all I got. Nope. You tuned into 4 Triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Gabe. And Izzy's going to read out an article, the V was going to do today. Yeah. Do it. All right. The paper's title literally opens with the phrase zombie leaves, which is quite a cool descriptor for what's going on. This story is a really cool piece of plant research. The study was published a couple of weeks ago by plant biologists out of the University of Illinois, uh, QS ranking. Oh, gee. Uh, I've created a rod for my own back, haven't I, mm-hmm. by doing the QS ranking? <laughs> okay. <Who are> <laughs> Equal with Queensland Uni, 43. I don't know. 40, uh, Gabe? I think 200. Oh, 64, guys. <laughs> in their Urbana campaign, the team was studying different pl- a different type of plant in a forest reserve in Panama when they came across a particular particular tree fern and curse UV for putting in the um, the plant named the Cynthia <laughs> rojasana. Mm. At first, the tree fern didn't look that different from other tree ferns. It had the characteristic woody trunk that looked like an elongated pineapple and a crown of fronds out the top like a, pikey, a, a spiky head of hair. The interesting thing about this tree fern was that the fronds were kind of wilted and drooping down, seemed kind of attached to the ground at the head. It almost looked like they were rooted. The team ran some experiments where they carefully excavated the frond tips from the ground and placed them in pots with a controlled amount of fertilized nutrients. What the team found was pretty incredible, but requires a little bit of an explainer on plant internal organs. Just like us, most plants have a vascular system that allows us to transport water and nutrients from the roots out to the rest of the plant. So through the trunk, out to the leaves and to the flowers and the fruits. Now with ferns, Each fern frond has a central stem, known as a rachis, which is small leaflets sprouting off the side all the way along along through it. You can imagine each rachis like a tube that carries water and nutrients out to the tip of each frond. The incredible thing about this plant is that the tree fern in this study is... Um, that once the fronds wilt and seemingly die, the directions of nutrient transfer transfer in the reishis actually reverses. The plant seems to pull... Yeah, okay. (laughs) The plant seems to pull nutrients, particularly nitrogen, from the ground through the tip of the seemingly dead and decaying frond, which then travels back to nourish the main body of the plant. That's pretty sick. That's That's pretty metal. Because plant, plants moving water around and all the other nutrients are sort of as part of that vascular system is one of the biggest limitations on a lot of taller plants and anything that's off up off the ground. Mm-hmm. Just simply because you have to suck a huge amount of water up against gravity for, for plants that are over 10 metres high. Mm. It's... If, if you got a 10 meter long straw, Max, and you tried to suck <laughs> water through it, you mm. physically wouldn't be able to do it. Even if you attached a machine to your end of the straw, you wouldn't be able to get it above 9.8 meters-ish because that's where gravity just cancels out your ability to suck the water any higher. So, and plants have to fight that by having a completely controlled, closed system 
and they lose most of the water they suck through and it's like it, it's incredibly complex how plants move water through their system so to be able to reverse it seems like a pretty weird thing to find in a random fern that's really sick i think i saw something about like californian wood trees and how much they struggle to like transport because they're huge Mm-hmm. Um, how they struggle to transport water nutrients, especially in like California's drier um, seasons. So yeah. this is really sick. This is, uh, wow, cool. Um, this coupled with the fact that these tree ferns only grow about two meters, which is pretty tall for a person, but not really tall for a tree fern. This means that the m- mature leaves eventually will wilt and drop off. They are still able to touch the forest floor. Head researcher Professor James Darling says that this is the first time this particular phenomenon has been observed, which makes sense, right? Dead-looking leaves are unassuming, and most plant biologists would just simply skip over them. In truth, there is a whole heap of amazing things plants can do. You just have to pay attention to the little things. That's cool. That's really sick. Mm. Very cool story, Metal (laughs) plants. Special thanks to V for that story. Got a story from V. Uh, Wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm doing... The, uh, it's not we, nice being cut off, is it? No. Nah. <laughs> oh. Let's go to a song. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> we worked it. this out between the two of us. off air. That's right. That was Gold Coast Band FN Treats with yeah, Rabbit Hole. Hey. Strange little cross section of music this morning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and before that, Lemon Days. They're from Melbourne. Hey, with hey, Rabbit Max. Hole. Yes. Yeah, your Rabbit Hole theme. Yeah. I pulled up some rabbit science for you. Oh, oh beautiful. Nice. Okay. Have you ever wondered, you know when you go to Canberra and mm. you see the beautiful image of Parliament House and the grass over it that people can walk over mm. and then there's just European rabbits everywhere uh, as you drive around and there's just this scene of rabbits across Canberra. Have you ever wondered why the same thing doesn't happen in other cities like Brisbane? Why don't we get, why don't we get rabbits in Brisbane? Because they're illegal, oh, aren't they? Because they're illegal. Well, they're illegal, yeah. but they're still around. You can't yeah. own them here, but mm. just... In the in the wild, the the invasive rabbits just sure. don't seem to come to Brisbane. And there's yeah. some research that came out in December last year mm. that it, it was based in North America, but they did some experimenting on on why uh, rabbits and other species seem to be in sort of urban areas, some places and not in others. And what they found is that there is, seems to be a good correlation between the average temperatures or the the climate of those regions. So mm. they found that in colder areas, where typically you may expect those urban areas to be hotter because of the concrete jungles and everything else going on there. You find species like rabbits tend to move into those urban areas. And in warmer areas, like our very own Brisbane, you don't seem to get those animals coming in there, which they say has implications for uh, how you conserve native species you mm-hmm. know, and, and how they interact with urban areas and how in colder areas you might be able to use urban areas as conservation areas. But, but what I think it shows us, Max, is that if you're not a rabbit and you can't <laughs> escape the hot in a city of Brisbane and you just mm. need to chill out, the best way to do that is listening to 4 Triple Z, isn't it, Max? Oh. Oh. <laughs> sublime. Sublime. Okay. Smooth. And you can do that by going to our website at 4zzz.org.au forward slash support. And there's many tiers that you can subscribe to mm-hmm. from as little as $20 right up to a super subscription, which is $500, and you get your name down on the wall downstairs. I think we're building more walls down there so we can fit all the names. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <laughs> we're just spewing problem. out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Put some dividers in there. That <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, so mm. anything else to I mean, get the all warm inner glow. Yep. slash support and uh, the monthly prize, Max, that you go into the running to win now. They do. Uh, At Lost Souls, you can go and do a bit of uh, karaoke if you want to, next to Netherworld there. And yeah. this is the last day to enter into that one. Because mm-hmm. next month will be another prize, which we're not um, privy to, are we? Or? No, I don't no. think we get the inside scoop. No. Secret scroll oh, well, Okay. <laughs> Secret scroll. Secret rabbit business? <laughs> oh, there you go. That reminds me, I should play a, a song about rabbit holes. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> i got Alicia Todd. <laughs> They're from the Gold Coast. Space news up next. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but what if that little treat was a termite? I don't know what... Um, anyway. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> what bridge are we crossing here? We're, we're crossing something, Max. Let me cook. All right. You tune into 4 Z. The show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, and Gabe. No Idea Space News. Now, Gabe, do you think I should play a bit of this? What the hell? Oh, goodness. No. Jesus. The funeral march. 
What the hell? From the Lord Weird Shit Slough something band. <laughs> oh I mean, it is a sad time, Max. It but, is a sad uh, time. Even that, I think, is a little bit over the top. Uh, <laughs> ingenuity. Yeah. Do you want to say anything first or let me get into it? Uh, you just get it on, mate. Look, 18th of Jan. Oh, there it goes. It's as, as quickly as it started. Fades away. Uh, 18th of January. So last week, a small... Uh, uh, last week? A bit over a week ago. Mm. A small unmanned helicopter called Ingenuity tried to take off on the surface of Mars. But what was supposed to be its 72nd flight... You talked about the 71st flight already, Max. It yeah. was two weeks before then, yeah. and it had to terminate it early for an unplanned landing, which wasn't the first time that's happened, but this time they were a bit worried. Uh, you mentioned, I think, on the show that there were possible signs of something hmm. a bit more serious had gone wrong. Uh, so flight number 72 is what they just called a pop-up, flying 12 metres up in the Martian air and touching back down, or Martian atmosphere, hmm. and touching back down. It took off sending data to Earth via the Perseverance rover that was a few hundred metres away, uh, and it climbed to 12 metres up, started descending, and then apparently one metre above the surface of Mars, the data connection stopped. And their team of engineers at NASA didn't know what had happened or whether it had touched down. The Perseverance rover was too far away to go check it out, so all they could do was wait. A day later, I think it was better part of two days, communications with Ingenuity were re-established via Perseverance, and the Mars helicopter was standing upright, had power. The engineers were keen to start testing out diagnostics and taking photos and doing little tests. Then they got images Ingenuity had taken during the flight and confirmed one or more of its rotor blades had been damaged during that flight 72 mm. uh, as it landed and lost contact, which means Ingenuity is grounded and is not going to fly again. They don't have spare rotor blades packed away somewhere. That's game over for Ingenuity now. Uh, it was supposed to fly five times, this little thing. Like, like if you're wondering why we love Ingenuity and talk about it pretty much every week on this show it is because of how far and away it just blew expectations out Mm -hmm. of the water because it's supposed to fly five times landing in the belly of the Perseverance rover in 2021 on the surface of Mars almost exactly three years ago as a proof of concept that's it still if you go onto the website it still says like test vehicle or something like it's a proof of concept and and wasn't supposed to be anything more post the last 30 days uh, on Mars, Sols, uh, which is 31 Earth days in time, and even that would be hard. The atmosphere on Mars is less than one percent as dense as what it is here on Earth. And trying to think, of, trying to think about launching a, a drone in like 90,000 feet above the like of where of surface level on Earth. It's such a thin atmosphere. There's nothing for something to fly in. Uh, it was only supposed to last a month, uh, and it lasted for a thousand sols, so 33 yeah. times Which is almost three years. To. Yeah. Made it through bitterly cold, frigid Mar- Martian winters that forced... It was so cold it forced its flight computer to freeze and reset several times over the Whoa. night when it got bitterly cold. Uh, it had to perform three emergency landings. It had to land on horrible terrain that was literally on a different planet and where radio waves from Earth take at least five seconds, I believe. Five minutes? Is it five minutes or five seconds? What's I'm that? I blanked on that. For what? Uh, to get anyway, it's I'm too glad I'm listening. It's too long. It's Five too minutes. long for it to, to remote control it. So it's got yeah, a, it's it's, uh, it's fourteen minutes each way. Fourteen so. minutes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think five minutes is the fastest they've ever gotten. But mm. anyway, it's too long to remote control it. You you got to do it remotely. Mm. It's got to land itself. The engineers on Earth had to consistently keep updating its software on the fly. Keeping in mind that these engineers, there was no budget for them. There was no people set aside for this after its five flights it was supposed mm. everyone was supposed to get pushed back onto the rover team yes. after that and they all had to stay on they had to like make a team out of nothing and keep this this r- helicopter going mm. uh, it had to clean itself off after martian dust storms and through that it managed to complete the first 72 powered flights by any human object on another planet so for the for the rest of time non-human powered flights numbers one to 72 will all say ingenuity next to them and over those 72 flights it racked up 128.8 flying minutes flew 17 kilometers in distance and reached a max altitude of 24 meters uh in i i I have a little tidbit to finish this off with max Mm. Mm. 1903 the wright brothers proved that powered flight was possible on our planet yes almost exactly 120 years later Mm. this small little ingenuity helicopter proved that powered flight was possible on another planet and during all 72 of those flights ingenuity carried a small strip of fabric from the wright brothers it first did. flyer yeah, from its wing. some of its cords yeah. underneath the the yeah. solar panel so yeah i mean i hope one day when a very overpaid ceo of some tech company manages to do us all a favor and ship <laughs> themselves off to mars 
they build Ingenuity, a museum. Yes. Uh, yeah. On this thing for what it's done because it's yeah. an incredible little story. And if you do ever, if you're the kind of person who, who goes down weird rabbit holes of science <laughs> stuff, Max, yeah. on YouTube watching what crazy long videos on sciencey stuff or you like to read sciencey stuff or you like mm. to listen to science radio shows on community radio stations, <laughs> uh, there's a fantastic blog that the engineers sometimes write up. If you just look up Ingenuity NASA blog, It'll come up. Most of them are just like flight logs. And then in between there, there are just these incredible pieces by the engineers who had to keep this thing running for, what is that? Nearly three years. Yeah. Uh, or two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, and just all of the stuff they had to go through keeping a, a little powered helicopter that was supposed mm. to last a month running for as long yeah. as it did and doing as much as it did. Unfortunately, we're never, well, we won't get photos of it until something else lands on the surface of Mars because Perseverance is too far away and they don't want to risk driving it to where Ingenuity is. Mm. Um, so all we'll get are some photos that are expected to come through of, of Ingenuity sort of during its landing and uh, where it's sitting now. It's just, camera's still apparently working, so it can take photos underneath it, um, but we won't get any photos of the, the, the helicopter itself until many years in the future when something else lands on the surface of Mars and can take photos for us. So for the meantime, we just have to write Ingenuity off and it's done. No more flying. Damn. Yeah. Should we play this? <laughs> I just took, I took I'm a sure bit NASA loves us playing the Space Force theme. I took a bit there. of license there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> new stuff arriving at the International Space Station on the Cygnus spacecraft. A ro- uh, so on, on the vehicle, they, they received a robotic surgeon, a 3D printer, so your father liked that, is he? <laughs> and artificial retinas. Also, some experiments uh, will look at bone loss and plant microbes. Now, Slim, the Japanese... scream at the plant microbes to make them <laughs> <laughs> Slim landed, as we know, upside down on the moon. Uh, <laughs> but that it does qualify as the fifth nation to ever land on the moon. That's the USA, Russia, China, and India. Land. And (laughs) now Japan. (laughs) And then it quickly switched off once its batteries went to 12% charge. Fortunately, some sunlight did hit the solar panels, even though they're facing towards the lunar surface. And (laughs) (laughs) it's reawakened for some sunlight. It's reawakened for a little bit, but it will be short-lived because the lunar night time is set to begin on the 31st, which is today, and the temperatures will plummet to minus 130 degrees Celsius. And finally, Lucy, the probe that's going out to see Jupiter's Trojan asteroids, it's going to fire up its main engines for the first time in space. So they worked well on Earth, but now they test them in space. And this will be the big test because they're going to fire them up tonight uh, to see if one of the solar arrays doesn't collapse because I've spoken about this before. It's got two solar arrays that sort of unfurl into circles. One latched in position, no worries. The second one did not latch in. And it got to about 97% of the circle done. So it's just held by a a couple of cables at the moment. And once they power it up using its main engines, we'll see if that uh, those cables are strong enough mm. to keep it in position because it's not actually latched hardcore. Anyway, and that's it for the Space News this week. God bless Ingenuity. Gabe, sign us out. Yeah, sure. Uh, you've been listening to No Idea on 4ZZZ, the science show here on Brisbane's community radio station. Well, Brisbane and beyond, we should say, Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been listening in to Max and myself and Izzy and Peter, and thank you to V as well for that story on the zombie leaves. You can listen back on the 4ZZZ.org.au website. The Community Radio Plus app, you can listen in live next week from 10 to 12. Uh, and you can also find us on recordings on whatever podcasting platform you use where we get the music chopped out and it's just us yammering away Yammering away? Let's say yammering away. Yammering. For an hour or so into your ears. But that is all we have time for. Eco Radio is up next. So you're going to hear Izzy again talking about energy efficiency, Max. Izzy and Zach are in the room. Okay. (laughs) We'll speak to you next week. Cheers. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. Science. Science.